Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolph fans? And welcome into the Friday, May the 31st edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we're breaking down Mike Gesicki in the film room and how the tight end can have a much better sophomore season after a somewhat disastrous rookie campaign. Plus, we'll jump back into the Twitter mailbag, go over yesterday's poll results, and in honor of the NBA Finals kicking off, we'll list our best championship performances in Dolphins history. But first... Before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya Podcast app. We are a top 100 rated podcast on Apple Podcasts on the top 200, so check that out. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at NFL. The show is at LockedOnFins. You can check out LockedOnDolphins.com for the piece on Mike Gesicki, as well as all of our other written Dolphins content. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Let's go ahead and jump into the Friday show. And first down on today's Locked On Dolphins podcast is brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. That's Hotels.com. Be there. Do that. Get rewarded. So I was talking about this Albert Wilson piece basically for the last couple of weeks here on the podcast. And I'll be honest with you guys, the numbers are going to take a minute to crunch. I don't have it done, but it will be the feature piece on Sunday night right before game number two of the NBA Finals, Warriors and Raptors. We'll have that up on Sunday, but now up on the site is this piece looking at Dolphins tight end Mike Gesicki. It's titled Bigger, Stronger, Better Utilization, Keys for Mike Gesicki's Emergence in 2019. And we're looking at things that Gesicki can do to make himself more of a productive player in the NFL in year number two, because you go back to his rookie season and it was a bunch of misutilization by the coaching staff, but he also had his own faults and the article explores what he does best and what kind of player he has to be to really magnify those strengths in his game. And we start off with the measurable and the percentiles of Mike Gesicki in terms of what he was at the combine and the measurements and the athletic testing. He basically stretches out the entire spider web except for two traits, and those are on the bench press and in the weight. And at 245 pounds last year, that made some sense. This year, he bumps that up up to 255 with a bunch more muscle added into that as well. And I put some clips in there from his from his senior season at Penn State, where frankly, I had kind of forgotten how good and how impressive he was as a pass catcher at Penn State, basically taking the top off the defense and working the middle of the field, catching balls over the top of linebackers. He was a fantastic pass option for that Penn State offense. And the clips up on the website are from my Twitter account from about a year ago today or earlier in the month of May. But you guys can see those clips up on the article on LockedOnDolphins.com. We go further into the fact that Gasicki only had 22 catches on 32 targets, a pretty low percentage for a tight end in the passing games. 
in the passing game rather, for only 202 yards and no touchdown. But it was the usage that really, really was perplexing. We go to pro football focus. He was lined up in line, which means you're attached to the line of scrimmage on the offensive line for 240 snaps. That's 60% of his total snaps lined up in line. 79 snaps and the slot, 70 snaps out wide and 11 in the backfield. The slot made up for 19.6% and out wide made up for 17.5%. So you essentially have Gasicki in line as a blocker 60% of the time and out wide, not as a blocker, but just in line in general, 60% of the time and split out wide, flexed out wide about 38% of the time last year. So 13.3% of those snaps, he was in line as a pass protector doing pass protection. That's just not who he is at all. He's allergic to it. He doesn't want to do it. He's not strong enough to do it. He's an F tight end, which stands for flex, a guy that moves about the formation and is essentially a glorified wide receiver. He was asked to run block 30.8% of his snaps. So you take all of that together, you're looking at about 44% of the snaps Mike Kosicki was on the field. He was asked to stay in and block, and that's all fine and well if he's flexed out wide and blocking as a receiver, but you wouldn't ask Kenny Stills to come down in tight and ask him to block from an inline position on 44% of his snaps. That's basically what you're working with here with Adam Gaze's use of Mike Kosicki last year. Mike Kosicki was the 107th ranked tight end as a pass blocker, according to PFF. He was the 131st ranked tight end as a run blocker, according to PFF. And still, that was the deployment that Adam Gase chose to go with, with Mike Kosicki in his rookie year. I put some more videos up on the column from his rookie season showing his work as a run blocker when he basically tries to man guys up and just gets chucked across the formation, oftentimes into the running back, making the tackle himself. And that's the number one thing we asked Mike Gusecki to improve this offseason is the functional strength. He lacked that upper body bulk, didn't have the solid foundation down below. And all he really has to do as a blocker in this role is to get himself in a position to hold the point of attack and win with leverage to seal off a gap But frankly, he just wasn't capable of doing it in his rookie season, even though the Dolphins pounded him into the ground in trying to learn to do that. Number two was the contact balance. And there's a video on this thread or on this column that is really disparaging to Mike Kosicki because he comes off the snap super late and then stumbles into the secondary and takes out a receiver as he's falling down as he was one to do last season with the Dolphins as a pass catcher going out into the route and basically just falling to the ground without much contact. But if he can improve those two things, the functional strength and the contact balance, and we saw that he added 10 pounds of muscle and you'll see two pictures in this column. One, of this year's minicamp and one from last season, there is a lot more muscle definition on the guy in general. So that's his path to having an emergence in year number two. And I think that position at tight end, as well as what they think that he could be at that role in this offense, kind of the Aaron Hernandez type, you know, besides the whole murder thing, that's the idea for Mike Kosicki in this offense. And if he can seize that, it would be a massive boon for this offense. Okay, before we turn gears here and go on to segment number two and get to your Twitter questions, a couple notes real quick. We ran the poll on the Twitter account yesterday at Wingfield NFL asking if you think it's a big deal that Rashad Jones is there at OTAs at voluntary minicamp. 65% said no big deal. 35% said it is a big deal. And that was on 1,300 total votes. So you guys feel pretty overwhelmingly that he doesn't have to be there and shouldn't be there. And you know that I disagree with that. Let's go ahead and move on. The next portion I forgot to talk about on 
Thursday's podcast was that Albert Wilson, Dwayne Allen, Chase Allen, Rashad Jones, Cordrea Tankersley, and Jamius Pittman were the ones that were absent from voluntary minicamp, mostly for injury purposes. Of course, Rashad Jones is the one absent on his own accord there. So the Dolphins almost at full strength, almost at full attendance. Next week at mandatory minicamps, June the 3rd and 4th, everybody will be there except for maybe Rashad Jones, which bears a lot of watching. That'll be the story of the week next week. But with that, let's go ahead and close up shop on this first segment and get ready for segment number two with your Twitter questions on the other side of the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingful NFL at Locked On Fins. Last Friday in May, it's almost June, which means we are almost to the dead period of the NFL calendar, but it also means we're only about a month and a half away from training camp kicking off and football season finally coming back into our lives. I can't wait. It's going to be a long two months, but we'll get there together with the Locked On Dolphins podcast here, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Let's go ahead and jump into these Twitter questions. You guys know the drill. I put the call out on Twitter. You respond and get a response on the podcast here as well as a Twitter shout out. We did a few questions yesterday. Let's go ahead and get to the rest today. The first one comes in from Sean Mawinney. It's at SW Mawinney on Twitter. Best non-QB prospect in this year's draft class. Frankly, I want to start at the receiver position because it is absolutely loaded. And as you guys heard on the Wednesday podcast, This receiver group in Miami, it's decent, I think, but it really lacks that number one guy that would put them over the top because there's lots of complimentary pieces, and I think that Jerry Judy from Alabama is an absolute star. I think LaVisca Chenault from Colorado is an absolute star, and I think T. Higgins from Clemson might be the best of the bunch, and then there's C.D. Lamb of Oklahoma, who's also an absolute superstar. So I just think that this class of receivers gives the Dolphins a lot of options, and you hope Josh Rosen works out because he would get a pretty good-looking playmaker or the option to draft one if he does work out this year with any of those four guys. I also like A.J. Epinesa from Iowa, obviously Chase Young from Ohio State, the top pass rushers. The safety class looks very good with Grant Delpit from LSU. He looks like an absolute star. And I absolutely fell in love with the Clemson linebacker, Isaiah Simmons, when I saw him basically beat Travis Etienne the Clemson running back who runs something like a sub 4 440 in a foot race. So this year's class to me is completely loaded and much years better, much better than the class we just saw in 2019. Okay, next question comes from Melody Mackey at AK Aminal. What movie has you going to the movies this summer? Frankly, I don't even know what's coming out because I'm just so used to the fact now that it's all Marvel movies and that does not do it for me at all. I went to the long shot movie with Seth Rogen with my wife a couple weeks ago. We were absolutely in stitches at that one. I think Seth Rogen's the man. But as far as like cinema, I usually don't go because frankly, I think movies are garbage these days. It's all about television. So I don't have one. I I wish I did because I love going to the movies, but I don't have any. Next question here comes in from Austin John at Finn Fanalist. If Josh Rosen is the one, but Miami still has the number one overall pick, and for the sake of the argument, you can't trade it, do you take Chase Young, Epineza, or Jerry Judy? Well, that's not going to happen because if Josh Rosen's the one, they're not going to pick number one overall. But if it was up to me, I think AJ Epineza's probably the pick there because I think the receiver class is deeper and you can get someone better at the spot later on. And Epineza is an absolute freak. So give me the Iowa defensive end, AJ Epineza. Next question from S and C 
The handle is at sand underscore and underscore C. You guys got to make these easier on me, man. These are a mouthful to read. If Rosen is not it, they draft a quarterback early next year and he's not it. Do they go back again in 2021? And if so, does Greer keep his job? No, if they draft a quarterback in the first round in 2020 and after one year, you've determined that he's not the answer, which basically would be the Dolphins finishing dead last and getting a crack at Trevor Lawrence, maybe even Justin Fields in the top five, then I think that Chris Greer would be proven to be not the guy they want. I think he'd get fired, but if they do go back to that well, it would have to be a pretty dire situation. So I don't see them doing that if they draft a guy in the first round next year. Next question from Bradley B at Scholar Caller. Your thoughts on building the team next year and going after Trevor Lawrence. I think that that's kind of where they are with Josh Rosen. If he shows you anything or if the Dolphins, frankly, find a way to win five or six games and they can't go out and get Tua Tungavailoa or Jake Fromm or Jordan Love, I don't put Justin Herbert in there because I just don't think much of him. But if they can't get one of those guys and then you can kind of play out 2020, if things go awry that year, then yeah, go all in on Trevor Lawrence no matter what Josh Rosen looks like because Trevor Lawrence is the next great prospect at the position. So I think it kind of buys them some time and it buys them some insurance in the very likely event that they can't get their hands on Tonga Vailoa. Next question from Zach Carey at Zach Attack 3733. Doomsday in the NFL, Jets, Patriots in the AFC title game. Who do you want to lose more? It's the Jets for me by a landslide because the Patriots, to me, I'm almost like numb to it to the point to where if they win again, I like this year, it didn't bother me at all. Like I really don't care. They've got six in my lifetime, six since I was old enough to understand football. So it's like, what's another one? Whereas the Jets, I want them to live in misery from the day from now until the day I die, basically. Next question from Brandon Haran at Finfan for Life91. Is it Heron or Haran? I apologize either way. Quick scenario. Our defense is on the field, opposing offense in the red zone. We're up six, game on the line. Which 11 on defense are you putting out there? Let's say they're at the 15-yard line. That's a great question, and I'll assume they're an 11 personnel, which means three receivers, one running back, and one tight end. I would go with the nickel base, and that's basically in the secondary, Rashad Jones and Minka Fitzpatrick with Bobby McCain, Xavier Howard, Eric Rowe as the other cornerback, and on the front line, we'll go with four guys up front and a two-man linebacker crew, I think. We'll go Christian Wilkins, Devon Godshaw, Vincent Taylor, Charles Harris, Raekwon McMillan, and Jerome Baker. So those are the 11 in that scenario when the game's on the line. I think the best 11 guys at those particular positions on the field for that particular time. Next question from Jesse Parker at Finns. Jesse, does Miami win a title before Tiger wins a 19th major? I don't know the first thing about golf. I know he won earlier in the year. But I'm going to say, does he have 18? If he has 18, no, because the Dolphins aren't winning a Super Bowl anytime soon. And Tiger is, Tiger, I I don't know. I think he's pretty good still. So if he wins one in the next couple of years, then no, the Dolphins will not do it. So I'll just go ahead and go with no. Next question from Leighton Stauffer, at Stauffer underscore Leighton. With Gaze gone, the fan in me wants to bring back Ajayi to be our Rex Burkhead. Do you think this is feasible, and would it be a good idea schematically? I've actually floated this idea previously that Jay Ajayi could be a good option to come back to Miami because they do need more backs, and he's so damn good in the outside zone. Plus, he can be kind of your sledgehammer in short yardage. I think he'd be a great complement to the backfield they have right now. But if he comes back, he better be willing to accept a role behind Kenyon Drake because, for my money, Kenyon Drake is a better player. Next question from Colin at CSI underscore Nard underscore Dog. A lot of television references there. 
Do you think the Dolphins might take a chance and make a trade for Duke Johnson or go get Rex Burkhead? I've talked about Duke Johnson on the podcast before, and I don't think they will because he has some fumble issues and he has no interest in pass protection. I think those are two traits they're gonna very they're gonna really value in running backs this year. As far as Rex Burkhead, did he get cut? Because if he did, I can see it but I don't think the Patriots would let him go if he wasn't cut already or, or if he gets traded. They probably won't trade him in division, but I think they would definitely have an interest in Rex Burkhead. Next question from John P. at NY. I know it's helmets and shorts, but if you had a choice of who will be better in the regular season, Preston Williams or Devontae Parker, who would it be? I'm going to go with Devontae Parker because... I mean, like you said it yourself, it's helmets and shorts. So who really knows what Preston Williams is? And I trust Brad Kelly's evaluation of receivers, especially guys at the college level that he watches a lot. You guys kind of gave him some heat for the Albert Wilson scouting report. And I think it was a little bit warranted, but he does make some good points. And I'll tell you my points on Albert Wilson on the Sunday night feature with the Albert Wilson scouting report. But I think that his points about Preston Williams are well noted in the way he has str- he has some problems getting off the press and getting himself free and clear with separation in the secondary. I think Devontae Parker might have his best year of his career, which might not be a lot, but I think it'll be more than what Preston Williams gives you. Next question here from Lee Harvey. He's at Wyoming 85 Lee. Will Rashad Jones be a Miami Dolphin come September? If traded, who do you think will bite? I think that yes, he will be a Dolphin. I think that if somebody does trade for him, I like the Atlanta Falcons to get Rashad to go back home. They could use a player of his caliber there. And I think they have the cap space to make it work. So I think Atlanta would make a lot of sense. But I do think that they work it out and he's back come opening day with the Dolphins. Next question from Greg Larson at GSL Now. During the season, do we A, sweep the Jets, B, split, C, get swept by the Jets and lose both games by double digits because Adam Gaze likes to round up the score? No way the Jets are going to sweep the Dolphins this year. That's just not how it works. I don't think that they'll win in Miami because the home field advantage for the Dolphins is so great. And I just don't think the Jets are that good of a team, especially when you factor in Adam Gaze being the coach there. So I think I'll go with B, a split. If the, if the Jets do get ahead though, absolutely 100% they are going to try to run the score up. Okay, we got one more question. We're going to take our last break and come back on the other side and answer that question here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingful NFL at Locked On Fins. hope wherever you guys are, the weather is as nice as it is out here in the Pacific Northwest. A cool 80 degrees and sunny, a little bit too hot for my blood, which could be a problem one day when I'm living in South Florida, which I think will happen sooner rather than later. But that's neither here nor there. Let's get to this last question on the Twitter mailbag today for the May the 31st podcast here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It comes from Mr. Stubborn at Abduarte underscore one. Do you think this new scheme or on defense will help Charles Harris turn into a productive pass rusher or is he a total lost cause at this point? I think most Dolphins fans kind of fall into that latter category thinking that he is a lost cause, but I want to see what he looks like in this defense because we've seen him kind of put in some positions where Maybe it wasn't the best case for him, or he got moved around the formation a lot because early in his rookie season, he was playing a little bit off the right side and he would kick inside as a nickel pass rusher on the interior. And he was effective in that role. And then last year, he kind of got left in the wash, played some of that same position as Cam Wake. He would get taken out by tight ends. It was not pretty, but I think that he has the ability. And as Brian Flores talks about, he has the maturity and the work ethic. If he can put things together, 
I think that he could be a situational player for this defense, a productive pass rusher like you mentioned, but I think the idea of him becoming a star player in this league is probably a lost cause at this point, but I do think he can be part of a viable rotation. Okay, that's the end of the mailbag. Again, thank you guys all so much for those questions. Let's go ahead and get to this last segment here, which I probably could use some help from some of the older Dolphins fans in terms of who were the peak performers when the Dolphins actually played in championships back in the 70s because this segment talking about top championship performances going right in line with the NBA Finals tipping off last year, which I assume the Warriors won because I'm recording the podcast before the game, but let's pretend the Warriors did win game one at home. Let's talk about these Dolphins' top championship performances and I'm going to go in chronological order. I thought about putting Lamar Smith in there but that's not really a championship game. I'm talking about games that seal up championships, whether it's an NFL championship, the AFC championship, or an AFC East championship. And I tried thinking about who had the best individual performances from that 2008 division clinching game. And I really wanted to put Ted Ginn in there, maybe even Philip Merling, but the truth is they made one play in that game. So we have to go with a guy that almost won the damn MVP that year. Chad Pennington completed 22 for 30 passes for 200 yards with two touchdowns, no interceptions, took one pick, had a 113.2 passer rating. I think that definitely clarifies as a championship performance that we'll never forget in our lifetime as Dolphins fans. Number two, like I said, I wanted to get Lamar Smith in there, but that wasn't a championship game, so I can't do it. And the last two times the Dolphins made the conference championship game, they lost to division rivals in the Bills and the Patriots, and neither of those games had individual performances that we can really point to and say, wow, he played fantastic even in a loss in a losing effort. So we go back to the 1984 season for our next best championship performance, which is just Kind of soul-crushing as a Dolphins fan to think that three years before I was actually born is the last time they had a championship performance, and the one that I do have in my lifetime was a regular season game. So it kind of tells you where this franchise is. Let's go back to 1984 when the Dolphins beat the Steelers in the 1984 Conference Championship game. And who else would it be other than Dan Marino, league MVP that year? The Steelers actually had 455 yards of offense and converted 54% of their third downs. This according to Wikipedia, but it still wasn't enough as the Dolphins posted 569 yards on 71 plays behind 421 passing yards and four touchdowns from our guy, Dan Marino. So that one easily, I think, is the best prior to all the Super Bowl victories. And then, of course, just two years prior to that, we go back to the conference championship game against the Jets and the Dolphins' victory over those stinking Jets in 1982. I guess it was the 83 playoffs, but for the 1982 season, A.J. Dewey gets the three interceptions in that game. Who else would it be besides Dewey as he picked off Richard Todd three times and one of those went back to the house for a touchdown return and a 14-0 victory. The Dolphins held Richard Todd to 15 of 37 passing with 103 yards and five interceptions on a wet, sloppy, muddy day in South Florida. And then we go back to the 70s in 1973. The Dolphins beat the Vikings in Super Bowl VIII behind the 33 carries and 145 rushing yards and two touchdowns from Super Bowl MVP Larry Sanka. Bob Greasy passed the ball seven times in that game. He was six for seven with 73 yards, but still, Larry Sanka, the MVP of Super Bowl VIII, that's an easy pick in that one. And then we go back to the 1972 undefeated season, the win over Washington led by, who else? Super Bowl MVP Jake Scott, who had two interceptions and a fumble forced in that game. So that's an easy pick as well. 
And that is where I'll end the list. You guys, please let me know if there was a participant in the 1971-72-73 conference championship game or the 1971 Super Bowl that I'm forgetting. But for me, it goes Chad Pennington, Dan Marino, Jake Scott, and Larry Sanka, the four best championship performances in team history. And here's hoping that someday soon, sometime in the near future, we can add to this list and not have to think about Ted Ginn catching one touchdown in a Week 17 game at the Meadowlands. All right, guys, I'm going to go ahead and get out of here. But today's show was brought to you by Grip 6 Belts, ultra lightweight belts with no holes, no flap. It's a great Father's Day gift. Go to Grip6.com. They have a special offer for you with promo code LOCK. That's Grip6.com slash L-O-C-K-E to get the best belt on the universe. And please subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app. It's free. It's super easy to use. And they have every podcast in existence that you love and you're searching for. They have personally curated playlists. You can like and comment, give thumbs up. You can follow. Listeners can follow to their favorite shows and creators. It's a fantastic podcast app, the new Himalaya podcast app. Please be sure to subscribe to the Lockdown Dolphins podcast on Himalaya, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Check out the other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter, at NFL. Follow the show at Lockdown Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockdownDolphins.com. You guys have a great weekend. We'll talk to you on Sunday night with the Albert Wilson Charting Project for another edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. Your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up. Have a good weekend.